0: Hello and welcome to the Business of Agriculture, a podcast with me, your host, Damian Mason, where every week we bring you interesting discussions on issues impacting the industry of food, fuel, fiber, and farming. That's right. The industry we love, that we all work in, it's our business. It's the Business of Agriculture. June is Dairy Month. That's right, folks. You've heard me talk about dairy a few times. I know if you follow this show and if you watch me on social media, I'm kind of, shall we say... Uh, partial to dairy. Why? Because I was a dairy farm kid. I was raised on a dairy farm, your basic Midwestern dairy. We milked 50, 60 cows, farmed four 500 acres, made a lot of hay. That's where my back went, <laughs> putting up hay. So I'm a dairy guy, and I thought I cannot get through June, Dairy Month, without talking dairy with another dairy person. That's right. My guest is Johan de Groot, I thought it'd be fun for you, my wonderful listeners, to hear from the guy that farms my land. That's right. I rent my farmland to a gentleman named Johan de Groot, dairyman, young agricultural farm guy here in the United States, and a recent U.S. citizen. He is my guest. We are celebrating Dairy Month, and we're going to talk all things dairy with Johan de Groot. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me. You are
0: very welcome, and I appreciate this. A lot of people, you know, they watch me on the stage because if you're listening to this podcast, you probably already know this, but maybe you're a first-timer. I make my living talking on a stage. I go around the United States and Canada and a few other countries once in a while, and I talk at agricultural meetings. That's what I do. In fact, if you have a meeting coming up, do me a favor. Check out damianmason.com. it's newly revised, and click on the tab that says Click Here for More Agricultural Content. You'll see all my stuff. I've done a ton of dairy events. I've done three of the provinces in Canada for dairy. I've done several states. I've done several processors and then also suppliers to the industry. I know a little bit about dairy, but not as much as a guy that is my guest. Johan, let's talk about you. You're a guest of the show. You also farm my land. The people listening to the show are saying, all right, tell us about your operation.
1: Uh, we got a dairy farm that we that I was able to buy in, from my parents back in 2011. We currently milk about 1,900 head, and then we also raise all our young stock and dry cows, of course. And currently farm roughly 1,500 acres that we grow mainly corn silage and alfalfa silage on.
0: Okay. You may maybe listening to this and you say, man, that sounds huge. Or you're saying, maybe, I don't even know. I just told him that 30 years ago, we milked 50 cows, and you just told him you milked 1,900 cows. The average dairy herd, dairy farm in the United States of America, the last I read was around 150, I think. Does that sound accurate to you?
1: Yeah, it sounds right. I bet that's rapidly changing.
0: It is rapidly changing because of market forces. If, you are, uh, if you're a person in the business of agriculture, you know that dairy is in a rough spot right now. We're going to get to that. But before we do, let's expand a little bit more on Johan. As I said, Johan... You became a United States citizen in September. Congratulations, I think. What do you you think?
1: Yeah, I think it was a neat experience. It was uh, quite a process. We started there in December of 16 and went through all the hoops and appointments and, of course, uh, answering questions and learning about United States history. But we passed all that and had the official ceremony there in September and became an official citizen.
0: Folks, he knows more about the United States history probably than the average American. Now the thing is, once he became an American citizen, I came down and shook his hand, congratulated him, and I said, Now you know what you gotta do if you wanna be a real American, you gotta go to NASCAR or to to Walmart and buy yourself some NASCAR sleeveless t shirts and also you gotta get yourself ass over backwards on money and you probably need to start watching Oh, shall we say daytime TV and then figure out a way to get on disability? Isn't that the American dream? Nope. Okay, I'm kidding. (laughs) All right, so Johan de Groot's my guest. He's a dairyman. He just told you that. He farms and milks. Let's explain how dairy farming works. It's dairy month after all, and the person listening maybe knows a lot about it, or maybe they don't, but they know that they like ice cream, they like cheese, they put butter on their bread, they like chocolate milk like me. Dairy farming. Tell me how it works. You got these cows, 1900 of them. You milk them three times a day. Your operation runs almost 24 hours a day, milking, milking, milking. What else do I need to know?
1: Of course, taking care of our animals, making sure their housing is kept up. We got ventilation in the summer months. We got curds we drop down in the winter months. Make sure our cows see the veterinarian uh, roughly every week. We have Strict vaccination protocols. We have a nutritionist that formulates the diets for the girls on a weekly basis. We really watch after the girls 24-7, and then they, of course, get milk three times a day. But we only bring them to the parlors three times a day for about a half hour at a time.
0: The rest of the time, they just get to hang around, chew their cud, eat, drink, moo.
1: And do whatever they want.
0: Do whatever they want. That's all right. All right, we know that in the business of dairy, uh, right now is in a little bit of a tough spot. But it was worse just a few months ago. We're starting to see some light at the end of the tunnel.
1: Stuff started looking up here uh, in the last couple of months. As the price had increased some for the fall months of 18. We knew spring of 18 was going to be rough. Looking at it from, you know, going into it from fall of 17, going into spring of 18, we're going to be, you know, negative margins. But the last two weeks, stuff's changed again with some of these trade talks, and has put some negative impact on these markets. And that may turn around here sooner than later, but nobody knows. All
0: right. Uh, I believe, and I have said this since I have been around dairy my whole life, and uh, even though I don't milk anymore, my brother did until six years ago, and then I've been doing business with you since then. We've had too much milk in the United States of America for 30 years. But maybe the whole globe has had too much milk For 30 years. And the the people out here listening, as you understand, the reality is we generally in agriculture always produce very, very well. In fact, we always catch up. When there's a shortfall, we just get really good. We buckle down and we grow more corn. We uh, produce more milk. We can throw more cotton on the world market, whatever it is. Really, it's not a shortage issue that we've been facing for the last 50 to 70 years. What's the deal
1: on milk? I say the same thing. Margins allow. We we do what we know best, which is milking cows. When we do make a dollar, guess where that dollar goes? It goes right back into our farm to take care of our cows and improve production and or grow our herd.
0: There's 9.3 million milk cows in the U.S. herd right now, according to my research. And I've been in sessions where they say, that's about 300,000 too many. If it wasn't for the 0.3, we'd be okay. My contention is if we got rid of the 0.3, those 9 million would just get better at producing, and we would still have too much milk. Is there too much milk on the world stage?
1: I think between too much and too little is usually only a percent. So right now it might be a little bit too much, but here locally for our Indiana dairy producers, our problem is processing. Right now we're trucking milk longer distances to get a process because we're short of processing in this area. All right, and there went our premiums. We used to be two, three dollars higher just because we were receiving premiums that we've lost.
0: Where does your milk go? We're in Andrews, Indiana, by the way, which is near me. Obviously, Johan farms my ground in Huntington, Indiana, northeastern Indiana. Where does your milk go?
1: Our milk will go anywhere for where DFA takes. We ship. We are part of the Dairy Farmers of America Co-op, and they have contracts with various processors. They have some of their own balancing plants. So some of the milk will go into Goshen, Indiana, some will go right here into Shinkle and Huntington. Sometimes we'll even go to Pennsylvania to a cheese plant. So it either
0: it either goes eight miles or it goes three hundred.
1: Correct. Or yeah. four hundred. And that's where DFA has contracts, and that's where they take it.
0: So really, it's almost like a just-in-time demand. If I'm uh, building trucks at a factory, and I uh, all I need to know is I just keep that assembly line moving and keep the trucks getting built, and where the bumpers come from means nothing to me as long as there's a bumper to put on the next truck. Is that the way it is with milk?
1: Pretty much. If we produce it, they'll sell it.
0: Okay. Uh, there's a thing called MPP. Uh, with the US Department of Agriculture. It's a margin protection program that was supposed to put in some kind of cushion and help if there was a shortfall based on feed prices and milk price uh, volatility to give you margin. Is it practical, is it working, are you even involved?
1: We did sign up for it uh, three years ago and actually bought up some of the premium thinking there was gonna be some payouts. Last year, I did the minimum premium, which is the $4 margin for $100, which was really worthless. This year, if you were to produce less milk than I do, say half, if I was producing... Right now, we're shipping about 50 million pounds a year, 50 to 60 million pounds. Your
0: dairy farm ships 50 million pounds per year... Of milk, okay, and then remember, dear dear listener, that's about eight pounds per gallon. So you can do the math on how many gallons that is. And then we know that your cows give about 85 pounds per day of about 10 about 10 to 10.5 10. gallons of milk per day per cow. Is that right? Yep. Okay. You're shipping 50 million pounds per year.
1: And right now, the milk margin protection program has subsidies for the first five million pounds you produce.
0: So really, the the idea that the USDA is going to protect you in volatility like we faced three months ago, less so now, but uh, maybe still right now, uh, is only going to protect 10% of your production.
1: Correct. But I can only sign up for a minimum of 25% of my annual production.
0: Okay. So these government programs really are not for a larger dairy operation like you. they Not for from research
1: what I've found out.
0: So it means if you had 190 cows or 10% of what you have right now, you would be able to get everything covered.
1: Correct okay and get subsidies to help pay you for it all
0: right do you think the United States Department of Agriculture is subsidizing small operations at the expense of you
1: I'm not sure if I could say that but there's got I guess there's only so many dollars to go around and they feel like the smaller producer has a higher cost of production so that's where they feel like they need to the help
0: do you uh, look at any government programs right now that are going to be practical for you?
1: We have been looking at the Gross Margin Protection Program, but like I said, we've been looking at it and trying to understand it more, but have not done much with it.
0: Got it. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the Business of Agriculture, the podcast that I put out here so that you can hear interesting discussions on issues in our industry. Johan de Groot, I'm going to move on now. He's a dairyman. He's 30 years old and just became a United States of America citizen. Let's talk about milk production, farming, and you from your perspective. You're a young guy. A lot of people listening to this are probably young also. What's changed just since you've been involved? You came over here when you were 13 years old from the Holland. Uh, 17 years you've been here. More time in the United States than the Netherlands. What's changed just since you came over here?
1: The biggest thing that I think has changed here recently, when we came here in 2002, people were knocking on your door wanting to buy your milk. Now, there has been producers let go, and that's a big change.
0: It's an interesting point you bring up. I just pulled this off of Dairy Herd Management. And that's a magazine, and also they have an online presence, an article about what's going on there. And Dairy Herd Management's uh, article points out that there's a, a new Walmart bottling facility, which is right here in Indiana. Is there another one I'm not aware of, or is that the only that's one? Not
1: to my knowledge. Okay. my knowledge is the first one and the only one at the moment that Walmart so, put up. So
0: right here in northern Indiana, Walmart is getting into bottling their own milk. So just so you uh you know you hear the word vertical integration, that's true vertical integration. They already sell the milk, and now they're gonna go ahead and process their own milk. It's probably not gonna happen that they get all the way vertically integrated. They're not gonna probably start milking their own cows. But they opened that facility right here in Indiana. So it affects a larger area. 52 farmers in New York State are being shown the door. And they referenced the Walmart bottling plant as part of the reason, whether it is or is not. But the reality is, 52 smaller farmers in upstate New York are going to have nowhere to go with their milk. And so if you're listening to this podcast, you're saying, what do you mean? Why can't they just go somewhere else? You can make all the milk you want. Getting rid of it is going to be an issue. So Johan just pointed out, you came here in 2002, you could make milk, people banged on your door and said, we'll take your milk. We want the volume to process
1: it. And they had premiums that they enticed you to come deliver milk to their co-op or their, their direction.
0: Why did that change?
1: Because there's not enough processing and... And not too much demand. Too much the supply and not enough demand.
0: Yeah. So milk consumption continues to drop. If you're listening to this and saying, Well, what changed? I'll just give you some rough numbers. In nineteen forty five, at the end of World War II, the average American consumed about forty six to forty seven gallons of milk, fluid milk per year. Last year it was closer to sixteen. So, we've got about one-third of the milk consumption per American. Now, granted, we have more Americans, but we also keep making more milk. Even with less cows, we can make more milk. So just 15, 16, 17 years ago, when you guys started up, you had no problem getting rid of your milk, and in fact, people enticed you with premiums. But now, not as easy to get rid of your milk.
1: Correct. Premiums have gone away and have been less and less. There's actually a negative market adjustment because they are selling milk under class 3. And we're getting deductions of that that's getting passed on to the farmer. All
0: right. The person listening to this probably right now says, Class three, what's this all about? There are different classifications of milk. What we talk about on the Chicago Board of Trade, they always are trading
1: class three and class four.
0: Okay. What are you guys selling?
1: Well, it's a complicated formula that they actually use to pay create your pay price, and I could not tell you that formula right offhand. But it's it's long but the class three and class four is what we can kinda of, guide or sells by protect or sells by by selling and buying futures.
0: I think I know as much about dairy as any person that doesn't still milk cows. And I gotta tell you, I have never been able to comprehend class one, two, three, four, five, six, and seven on classification of milk. It's never really completely made sense to me. So I appreciate you saying that you can't explain it quite either. What's dairy industry doing right and what are they doing wrong? The dairy industry is powerful. It's got commercials. You know, we had got milk for a long time. We got tons of cheese being sold. Got uh, lots of people like you out here running your industry. No shortage of the product. In fact, there's probably too much But What are we doing right and wrong as an industry?
1: I see the biggest thing that we're not doing is innovation. Trying to get products out by the checkout lines at Walmart that are easy to grab and it's just a quick snack that people are looking for.
0: I agree with you. I pointed out I did a presentation for Prairie Farms. They are a uh, dairy cooperative, and they used me a couple years ago to do a speech for them, and it was for, I think they're quality people, and they said, talk about the issues in agriculture with a dairy angle, and I said, I can do that. Protein has been hot for the last four to five years. Protein, protein, protein. Even Special K, the cereal, is trying to pretend they have protein. It's a carbohydrate. I don't know how there's any protein there. So, of course, it has protein only if you add milk, which should be their thing. You want protein, you still love your cereal, milk has protein. They should be pushing the protein, they should be pushing the convenience and the portability factor of it. Also on innovation, Greek yogurt is the first innovation that came along in dairy and it had nothing to do with what dairy did. Somebody else did it and just happened to use a dairy product. I think that we need to do more innovation to be selling more stuff. Your thoughts on that?
1: Well, same thing. We need to get stuff that's convenient. America anymore wants to go be eating on the go, drinking on the go. Nobody's going to sit down and you know, grab a carton of milk out of the fridge. They want to go through the drive-thru and get something quick and easy.
0: What is dairy industry doing right? You talk about they're doing wrong because they aren't pushing innovation. What are they doing right? What are we doing well in I dairy? I think
1: we've got a good network. And we got. And they are putting out some commercials, like you said, how nutritious milk is. And we are meeting with our customers. And hey, we want they want more transparency. What's going on at the farms? And we are doing that.
0: Here you are in Andrews, Indiana. You got 1,900 cows. You got another farmstead a few miles away where you keep all of your heifers. You've got tons of going on. You're farming my ground. You're farming your own ground. You've got a lot happening. Biggest challenge you face on a daily or weekly or monthly basis?
1: Weather's always an issue. But employees, if you get if you are relying on employees. The days that the weather's good to be in the fields, you're always shorthanded. And then the days it rains, you're you're you got too many people sometimes, you don't know what to do with.
0: Sure, and you have a lot of labor, correct? And your biggest expense, feed,
1: feed is my number one cost, labor is number two, okay, and which has increased, has rapidly increased over the last five
0: years. Well, the economy is roaring right now, and a person that might either go to milk cows might decide they can put up drywall or uh, <coughs> frame <coughs> frame houses, perhaps. Yep. Uh, the money. Lots of money to be handled. And uh, I'm not getting in your pocketbook, but folks, if you're listening to this show, you probably know. Uh, a person that farms a couple thousand acres, you know, they got a lot of corn, they got a lot of soybeans. Maybe they have a bunch of wheat out there in the Palouse in Washington State. You know, the, the things add up. When you're selling... 50 million pounds of milk per year. You're handling a lot of money, but you're just handling it. Your labor, your your equipment expense, your business expense, of course, is feed. Where else are you spending money that people wouldn't think about?
1: Or utilities to keep our cows cool, keep the milk cool, keep everything going on the farm is a big expense. And, of course, re- replacing equipment that wears out. It's also definitely a big expense.
0: All right. Environmental compliance is still a headache, and they really, really have uh, come down on uh, livestock. I mean, I got chicken people uh, up in Iowa. They're talking about water issues. Where does this go? Is it going to become more and more of a burden, or do you think we've leveled off?
1: I think we've leveled off, but I think our biggest issues is going to be keeping the neighbors happy. Because when neighbors start calling and bugging the government agencies, they got to come out. And even though they're nuisance calls, they still got to come out. And that takes time out of our day. We got to meet with the inspectors. And even though everything looks good, it's still them coming out and having to do that stuff. And they think you're doing something wrong because somebody's calling.
0: All right. You got all this operation, you got all these heifers. And if you're listening to this show and you're saying, man, I'm just listening for the first time, I'm fascinated by this. A couple of things we should probably point out. We'll go Dairy 101. I remember watching on CNN, uh, which your president calls fake news, uh, five to seven years ago, they were at a dairy farm. And the host, uh, the, the reporter said, you know, they don't milk these cows by hand anymore. And I thought, good God. This hasn't happened since the 1900s, but uh, he he thought this was some revolutionary thing explaining how this works. So I'm going to tell you how a modern dairy farm works. real quickly, there's lots and lots of cows. There's lots and lots of work, and there's lots and lots going on. What does your week look
1: like? My week at the farm is always, of course, my cows are number one. So in the mornings, I would make sure everything. Going well. All the people showed up. They're doing the work they're supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Make sure the feeds on the farm that needs to be there to feed the cows, and then that's my top priority. Then after that, you know, it comes your your office work. You're paying bills. You're you know planning ahead when there's time to make hay. You make sure that the hay being made. When it's time to haul the manure, that makes makes needs to be done.
0: All right, so take your. I know you work a lot, and of course, by the way, dear listener, you're saying, "Oh, every farmer claims to work a lot." Dairy farmers at Johann's level work a lot. I mean, the the guy that uh, is out here saying he works a lot because he farms some corn and soybeans. Seriously, ask him. Okay, what do you do all winter long? Well, that does not happen on a dairy. It is twenty four seven. It is three sixty five. Where do you spend your time? You walk the barns, you check your animals, you meet your employees, you obviously are on the phone, you also are managing a tremendous amount of ins and outs on the uh, the money coming in and the money going out, buying feed. Do you make all your purchase decisions?
1: Yes. Some of it does go in in with discussion with like our nutritionist, hey, are these good buys, we'll get some advice from them, but majority is... My call on hey this needs to get bought this needs to get taken care of this piece of equipment needs to get traded off you know it's 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 rolling day in day out
0: if you had more time this is the question for even somebody like me that's a small biz entrepreneurial type or you if you had eight more hours per week four more hours per week where would you put it what thing would you be doing that you maybe aren't doing enough now
1: I think in today's market we need to be looking more forward at hedging protecting our inputs and outputs. And that's currently, I don't spend enough time on and spend enough time understanding it. As right now, I spend most of my time making sure the farm is going at its top notch ability. But I do think with these volatile markets, we need to be looking ahead and say, hey, there's a margin, we need to be taking it.
0: Whether you're in the business of agriculture or the business of anything, I think we just heard a real common sentiment right there. Uh, You get so busy managing, Mm, You spend so much time doing the things that are your day in and day out. There's always four hours. And I would ask anybody that's got their own business, if you had four more hours a week just given to you, where would you apply it? Where are the opportunities in agriculture? Where are the opportunities moving forward? If you were saying, I'm a 30-year-old guy and I'm looking at at where things are going to be five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, what excites you?
1: I still think that America's got a great opportunity to be a world player. And I do think to be in this industry and being a commodity producer, we've got to be a world player. We've got fertile land, we've got the right weather. And we just got to process the product into a product that we can ship around all this country and, and we, value on it.
0: And when you said weather, we generally also have water, which is an issue in much of the developing world. He just said we could be a world player here in, in the United States. And by the way, you can also talk about Canada. They're in North America, and they have similar issues as we. But that brings me to my next point. Canada. Trade. Oh, my goodness. The future. Just pulled this article off. About uh, on a Bloomberg. Trudeau, that's their prime minister up there, has billions of reasons to dig in against Trump on dairy. And when they say billions, they mean $35 billion Canadian, $26 billion U.S. That is what supply management is valued at right now in Canada. If you're listening to the show and you're saying, what is this guy talking about? In Canada, they protect, I'm sorry, there is supply management. So there's a protection built in for poultry, eggs, and milk. The bulk of this is in the way of dairy. The person that's listening to the show says, I have no idea what you're talking about. If you want to milk cows in Canada, you are only allowed to sell a certain amount of milk and is based on quota. And if you want to just start off, you just say, my, my spouse and I are going to move out to the country and buy 50 cows, start milking cows. Good luck. You can do that, but you'll have nowhere to go with your milk. Okay. Quota is worth money up there. Somehow this has become a big part of the trade spat. Where do you see this going? You're from Holland, which also, Western Europe, always had a quota supply management system. Your thoughts?
1: Holland used to have a quota system and lost it about five years ago. They phased it out. And for Holland, I never did make sense because we were not a net-producing country. Like We were already being an exporting country. We were playing the world market. U.S. is playing on the world market. I think Canada is even playing on the world market because they do not consume all their own dairy products as well. So if you are going to be producing more than your own country consumes, then the whole supply management, in my opinion, is worthless unless you truly produce only what you're going to consume and don't take anything out of the country is not a true supply management. Well,
0: and they are are sending it, and that's where the whole spat came in, and that's where uh, our president started saying, do you realize we're paying 270% tariff to put milk into Canada, which it wasn't really milk, it's a specialized milk, or it's class 7 milk, or it's cheese, or some such thing. Do you see supply management holding up, Anywhere, whether it's Canada or anywhere, do you see that system working or do you see ultimately these trade talks go through where it means, you know what, we're not going to be allowed to do these protections?
1: I don't think I know enough about that to answer that.
0: If we, uh, if we are sitting here looking at the global situation, what worries you the most?
1: Currently for us, it's volatility. It's a big concern. That's just, you know, it's a hard time looking forward at your business. Hey, you know, you a cost of production and milk price just in the last week has moved 60 cents, a 100 pounds.
0: So, by the way, if you're listening and you say, what's he talking about? Milk is sold by the hundred weight. So it's not sold by the gallon. It is sold by the gallon or the half gallon or the pint or the quart to you at the grocery store. But for the dairyman or woman. It is sold by the 100 weight. So Johan's operation puts all these pounds onto a truck. It goes somewhere to be processed, and then he gets his check based on the 100 weight. How else are you compensated in case these people say, wait a minute,
1: is that it? By percent butterfat and percent protein that we ship in our milk. Percent butterfat can vary by breed, but also by the way the cows are fed.
0: So you get paid a premium based on what we call contents, based on what we call components. Yes. And then you milk Holsteins. They're the big, huge uh, They're the big, huge breed that everybody knows, and they're black and white. Would you be making more money if you had jerseys in there because they have more butter, fat, and
1: protein? In today's market, it has moved from a fluid milk market to a component market, which means that we're getting paid more and more on percents, butter, fat, and protein and less and less on volume.
0: Are we going to see more Jerseys and less Holsteins, more Brown Swiss, more Guernseys because of that?
1: I think long term, it is going to go that way. But dairy being such a long life cycle from the time you have a calf on the ground before she actually starts the milk extreme, you're two years in. And that calf was of course bred nine months prior to that. So it's almost a three year life cycle, which is a lot different than the chickens or the hogs, a much shorter life cycle.
0: Volatility scares you The trade spats and the global situation does not. Of course, both of those play into volatility. Anything else that you would say concerns you about your industry?
1: Well, I think the consumer wants to know more and more about your operation. And sometimes I think they're getting a little too far about knowing your operation, which I feel like eh, there's a trust gap there, I think. And then we need to figure out how we can fix that. So they do trust us with our cattle and let us do our job the best that we know.
0: And I thought you did an amazing job with that. It was last summer that I even uh, assisted with you. We had uh, local politicians and representatives from Farm Bureau come to your farm and take a tour and understand a little bit about the issues you face and what exactly you've got going on there. And that's the kind of thing we need to be doing more of. The future of dairy. All right. You're sitting here. You're saying, I want to do this for the long haul. What's it look like?
1: I say we're going to get bigger. We're going to have to get bigger and have be lowest cost producer, be the player in this market.
0: So do the people in uh, countries right now that really want cheese, they really love the idea of having ice cream. Maybe they won't drink fluid milk. Maybe they'll just go uh, to where they only to get cheese. Are they going to have it from the United States? And then these uh, people that are trying to make uh, their operations work in their country with uh, 10 cows or something, they're just never going to make it work?
1: The consumer doesn't want to pay for expensive food yet. There's a small percentage of this country or anywhere in the world that people can pay the premium for grass-fed, organic-fed, those kind of things. But the majority of this world population still needs to be fed by a low-cost diet.
0: Yeah, not the majority here in the United States or in Canada, where the bulk of our listeners are, because we are two of the most affluent countries on Earth. The bulk of the population does not live in the United States, Canada, or Western Europe. The bulk of the population still lives in a place that is very much uh, more poverty-stricken. So you think that if they're going to have a dairy product, it's going to come from a place that can produce it cheaply with a great quantity like here. It has to. Animal rights activism, does it bother you? Where's that go? Those,
1: those people do scare me from time to time, especially with the lies they put out there.
0: What about them trespassing on properties? Have you had any of that?
1: Not to my knowledge. Vandalism? I've had, had vandalism. At, uh, we had a piece of equipment left out in the field, and it got burned to the ground.
0: De- That's too bad. Declining fluid milk sales. Uh, does that worry you? Like I said, we're down about one-third of what we once were, but we're selling a ton more cheese. We're selling a bunch more yogurt. Ice cream, I, I, my reading tells me, took an uptick, so you still feel good about the dairy product.
1: Yes, and we just need to make sure we have it processed into a commodity that the consumer wants. If it's cheese, if it's ice cream, whatever the consumer wants, we need to make sure it gets in that form.
0: I will correct you because my listeners are saying, wait a minute, he said the word commodity too many times. We need it processed into a value-added product that is not viewed as a commodity so we can charge even more for it if it's processed into a commodity, then it's going to still have the fate as fluid milk. We want them to process into Jabani Chobani Greek yogurt or into Little Sally's ice cream, where they're using high butterfat uh, components to make it the richest ice cream possible. You want value added. You're a smart guy. By the way, I'm talking to Johan de Groot, new American citizen, been here for 17 years. He finally became an American. He's my Tenant, he rents my farm ground from me. Three farms now. I just picked up another farm, I'm glad to say. And also, he's, uh, he's a guy that milks 1,900 cows. He's talking about dairy, but he's also a sharp guy. Went to Michigan State University. One thing, one lesson, one idea, one concept. Share with the listeners anything they can benefit from. If they are in the business of agriculture, what do you got? One thought, one idea about the future or about the current of agriculture.
1: Keep track of your cost. It's easy to make money, but it's, it's harder to hold on to it.
0: All right. That's probably true. You think it's the business side of it that struggles, that is a struggle for most people, why they end up uh, really, really sideways? Yes. It's never about the production, is it?
1: Well, I've seen a lot of people make a lot of milk but yet could not keep their head above water.
0: It's always about actually managing the ins and the outs, the dollars and the ins and the, the outs. Whole thing. Any other thoughts?
1: Nothing I can
0: think of. Appreciate you being on here. Like I said, this is Johan de Groot. He's a friend of mine. He rents my ground. I've known him for quite a while. He was at a Farm Bureau, Young Farmer and Rancher Conference in Baltimore when he met me and watched me do my presentation. Came up afterwards, shook my hand. I think he was 17 or 18 years old at the time, and said, My name is Johan de Groot. I live not too far from your farm. And that's how we struck up our relationship. This is the business of agriculture. I appreciate you joining me. Do it again next week. We'll talk about issues in the business of agriculture that affect you and also you find it interesting. Thanks so much. Till next time.